0: this member of the fraternity changes, then I won't changes. You know who loses out of that? Everybody around you. And I think that is where we are.
1: You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast with Donnie Aldrich where we strive to educate, inspire and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Thank you for joining us. Welcome in to this episode of the Teak Nation Podcast, a another historic episode. We have three tremendous guests with us here uh, in our esteem series and a discussion on BIPOC, which is Black, Indigenous, and people of color gaining perspectives, continuing to grow as, as students of humanity and, and members of our great fraternity. Honored to have three tremendous teaks with us. First, I want to welcome in a past grand Pretness, former director of the United States Met, Frater Ed Moy. Thank you for being here, sir. Yep. Delighted secondly, to be here. Secondly, I want to welcome in a GPA and a member, uh, initiate down in Louisiana who now lives in the great state of Florida, Frater Edwin Robinson. Welcome in. Oh,
0: so wanted to be here. Thank you, Donnie.
1: And so we've represented the East Coast pretty well between Frater Moy and Frater Edwin, although Frater Moy used to live in Seattle. I want to welcome in somebody from LA, Hollywood, uh, recent leadership academy graduate young alum who's been out of school now four or five years brother john broadway
2: hey what's up thanks so much for having me donnie
1: thanks for being here mm-hmm. so as we get going in this conversation one place i want to start is your is your beginnings in the fraternity and your heritage and in coming into the organization and, and the recruitment process and it's a bit of a layup for me in, in starting this podcast and being a student and listening because i know this story i've heard this story before but i want to hear I want to hear it told again, and also I want our, our members to hear it, and that's Frater Moy, your story of, of recruitment and and what you went through as a, a member of a BIPOC member in, in your recruitment process and, and what Teak meant to you during that recruitment process. Would you mind telling the story of your recruitment?
3: Yeah, thanks for asking, uh, Donnie. Uh, you know, so just a little bit of my background. Um, You know, I am the son of Chinese immigrants. My dad uh, was born in mainland China, fled during the communist revolution, became a naturalized citizen here in America, wanted to open up some restaurants. So we went back to Hong Kong because uh, uh, they spoke English in Hong Kong to find a wife. Uh, After a whirlwind romance, found my mom. Three months later, they were married and they came to the U.S. I was born nine months after that. And so, uh, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. Um, I was born in Michigan, did most of my growing up in Wisconsin, uh, fairly um, middle class, uh, very white. Uh, and, you know, these racial issues just never really affected me or I didn't think a lot about them, I, other than I was always the odd man out. Uh, when I was with my friends, uh, there were no other ethnic minorities, but there was Ed Moy, right? But they treated me like everybody else. So uh, my first confrontation really was when I uh, went to school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I was uh, in the jock dorms, uh, and there were a number of people um, on my same floor uh, that I became friends with, uh, that they wanted to investigate fraternities. And so they went to Rush uh, during fall, and uh, we also had um, one of my high school friends who was a Teak legacy, his dad was a Teak, uh, uh, he wanted to rush with us too. And so we went around and we saw about seven or eight different houses. And I noticed something beginning with the first house. Um, we went we went there, uh, you know, they're having rush. There were a lot of people trying to get in. Uh, there were uh, two guys at the door ch- uh, checking everybody. And when it got to our group, uh, they let all my friends in who were white and then they asked me to just stand outside because of the fire code they had too many people inside the house and they couldn't let me in and then a couple of the white guys came and they said come on in you know and then a couple other come on in and then they said well what and i said no no just wait out here and then when my uh, friends got done and they came out they said what are you standing out here for and i said yo they weren't they they said because of fire code they couldn't let me in so we went to the next house and the next house, and the next house, and for like five houses in a row, I there was exactly the same reaction. And also, it dawned on me the reason why I wasn't being let into these fraternity houses was that I was uh, not white. And uh, the last house on the list was uh, the Teak House, and we went right up to the Teak House, uh, went through the doors, and there was Fritz Jacoby, uh, who many of us know. And I could hear him laughing, which was one of the most distinctive memories that I have walking into the Teak House. And he comes up right away and he says, hi, I'm Fritz, who are you? I'm Ed Boy. you know, uh, so what are you majoring in? I'm pre-med, let me introduce you to Paul Miller, you know, he, he's another uh, a pre-med person, let me introduce you to here, here, here. And all of a sudden, I felt like I came home, right? And uh, that experience, um, really defined how I viewed Teak from that point on, and so, uh, uh, and, and, and as many uh, people know, I've I dedicated my life uh, to making sure that that core value of Teak—not for wealth, rank, or honor, but for personal worth and character—remains uh, a key element of the DNA of our fraternity.
1: Well, the great part about that story is it is the, it exemplifies exactly what we're supposed to be, right? And that, that's what's heartwarming about. Every time I hear the story and I'm glad for Edwin and John, that's probably the first time you've heard that story, but it brings pride in that's that's who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be. Edwin, can you talk about your your recruitment experience? Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to echo your sentiment and
0: just um, I'm fascinated uh, by hearing PGP Moy's uh, story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, My experience came um, as a frauder at the Theta Nu chapter at Southeastern Louisiana University. Shout out to my brothers out there. Um, I came in the I came in the fall of nineteen ninety-five. I was twenty-five years old. Uh, as a non-traditional student, it was my second stab at school, and I just really wanted to get involved and be involved in everything that school had to offer. So I said, Okay, I'll try Greek life. I've have several godparents who are Part of Greek letter organizations. Uh, They are part of uh, the traditionally African-American Greek letter organizations. And they were not offered at Southeastern. So I went toward another fraternity. I won't mention that other fraternity because we're all Greek and we're all family and I won't bash it. But I remember the experience extremely well. I loved the fraternity. I was part of student government. I was part of campus radio station. I went to every single event that they had. But come bid night, I noticed I didn't get a bid. And I thought I had done everything that I was supposed to do. So I went to the member of student government that asked, that had invited me uh, to participate in bid night, and they said, Ed... I don't quite know how to tell you this. I'm like, be a man, spit it out. And they said, well, we don't, we've never had, we've never had a black guy in the chapter. It's like having any other guy in the chapter. Uh, They said, but we're just, I don't know how comfortable we are with having a black guy in the chapter. I mean, what would the alumni think? And. At that point, I had decided I wasn't doing Greek life, and in a very um, in a very interesting choice of words, I I said that's it. If this is what Greek life is about, um, I had seen movies where Greek life was just a bunch of of uh, 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 preppy sweater wearing uh, white guys, and I said, well, if this is what it's about. Uh, I want no part of it. It wasn't until a gentleman by the name of, a frauder by the name of Christopher Buckle, who was the Epi Preetness of the Theta New Chapter at the time, he asked me a question. He said, well, have you tried teak?" And I said, no, not that house out there on the corner. Y'all ain't nothing but a bunch of deer shooting rednecks. And uh, I realized that I had a couple of chips on my own shoulder that I needed uh, to deal with. Chris, uh, through much cajoling, invited me to come to the house. And I came to the house. Um, I ate enough Sam's Club burgers to uh, last me uh, a lifetime. Uh, I met a wonderful gentleman by the name of Travis Ridgel, who has been a past GPA of the Cajun province in Louisiana, has a past graduate of the Leadership Academy, and um, he introduced himself to me. And I started to like the guys, but I still had that previous experience and said, okay, I don't think I'm comfortable. I'm not sure if I fit in. I'm ready to walk out the door. And the preakness at the time, Ryan Siebenkettle held out a bid envelope and said, hey, you're forgetting something. He said, we heard what happened at the other fraternity. Uh, We know who you are in the community. We know who you are on campus. Uh, You're pretty popular on campus. Look, we like you. Uh, We'd like to invite you uh, to be a part of it um we're not going to give you any special privileges uh, you're going to have to earn it like everybody else uh but if you want it here it is so i accepted that bid and uh and i was initiated into the bond on november 25th of 1995 and like 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 pgp moy said i felt like i was home and and I felt like I had family. We went through some bumps and bruises and, and some scrapes uh, dealing with the fact that the chapter opened in 1961 when I pledged, I was only the second African-American to pledge the chapter. But we went through some, we went through those bumps and bruises and scrapes. And uh, here I am 20, 24, almost 25 years later, not just only a very proud member of, of Talk Kappa Epsilon, but I am very proud to say that um, every time I get announced on a teak stage and it says from the Theta Nu chapter at Southeastern Louisiana University, I am proud that that is where uh, I came from. And uh, 24 and a half years later, um, I would give my
1: life for a good deal of those same deer shooting rednecks. <laughs> well thank you for for sharing that and being vulnerable john out out in long beach especially our groups out in california right we have a lot of diversity we have basically every single ethnicity out there can you talk about your experience and and how you joined TKE?
2: yeah yeah uh so i definitely had a very uh non-traditional upbringing with teak because uh, when i joined it was back in 2012 and i think they were just back on campus, I think for like two years. So they were kind of just getting back. They were kind of just moving away from like wild, wild west days, I guess, right? Cause they were back on campus. Um, so when I moved, I moved to Long Beach in 2012 and uh, I was hanging out with my girlfriend and she uh, invited me to a tea party. At that time I was going to Long Beach City, but I was still like uh, planning on going to Long Beach State. That was the reason why I had moved down to Long Beach. Um, and as soon as I went to the party, I remember I was a little nervous just cause I was like, Oh, I don't know if these guys are going to be, you know, uh, rude and stuff. I'm like, Oh, he doesn't even go here. Like, who is this guy? So I was a little nervous, but, um, just, I guess, excited for the experience. Um, and as soon as I went in there, I definitely felt welcomed by everyone. Everyone was really cool. Um, and I was having a good time. And within about like 10 minutes, someone pulled me to the side and was like, Hey, can I come talk to you real quick like on the side of the house and I was like oh, man like I from the city that I just moved in everyone was really like uh, quick to like fight and like confrontational so I, w- I was assuming that that's what this situation was I was like what did I do like I thought I was cool with everyone I thought we were having a good time like what's wrong right <laughs> um, and he pulls me to the side and then he gives me um, a bit actually right there like on the spot he's like hey we think you're really cool and um, think we bring a lot to fraternity, so, like, here's a bid. Um, and I didn't know what to think at first, because I was just like, wow, this is not what I was expecting at all. Um, and joining fraternity is something I always wanted to do. I didn't think it was going to happen like that. Um, and then I told him, I was like, hey, I don't uh, go to the school yet, but, like, I definitely plan to. he's like, oh. he like, okay, let me talk to some people. Um, and he talked to the guy whose house it was, who uh, happened to be uh, um, another black dude. Um, and he was like yeah I mean this is how we were able to stay alive when we were off campus so yeah I mean if you plan on going to school they here then yeah it's all good uh and so I was able to rush and I definitely felt I guess welcome the whole time just because um the fraternity like you were saying was so diverse um we had a little bit of like everything um and it was nice that uh that was something that was always like preached by fraternities at Long Beach Day, like, oh, we're all about diversity, we're all about it. But in our uh, fraternity, we actually, uh, you actually saw that, you know, at least when I first joined. Um, and I guess that's what warmed my heart so much about hearing um, Ed's story about how he went from house to house and got the same reaction. And then when we got the teak, it was different. Like, it was just a reminder like, oh, we actually are this uh, awesome different fraternity that we uh, espouse, right? Um, so that was, um, my experience, um, during, during Rush, they did like have a, I guess it was an excitement about, um, me, like being like a, a, a black pledge cause they, they wanted us to have continue to like keep that diversity. Um, so that was like, I guess the only attention I got as, as being a black um, member, but it wasn't anything, I guess like a, like negative, I would say so it's really a good experience overall.
1: Well, it's great to hear all three of you with a similar positive experience through the the recruitment process. I want to I want to shift a little bit and that is the the fraternity recently announced the Grand Council the creation of a diversity, equity and inclusion committee uh, and that group is going to be named here relatively soon and and they're going to get to work and one of one of the things that they want to accomplish is to to give suggestions to add to the strategic plan, which the Grand Council just approved a five-year strategic plan. And it really charts the course for things that we wanna accomplish as an organization. And within that, there's no doubt that that committee was created and the Grand Council's thought is how can we continue to get better as an organization when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? So I wanna ask a a very large question here to all of you and, and Edwin, I'll start with you. know what do you see as an area that the fraternity can get better at obviously our founding principles and and the stories that you all have shared so far are extremely positive and glowing and what we're doing and what we're living but any organization or any franchise right you can always get better and what do you see as aspects maybe in the past that disappointed you or areas for growth you weren't kidding when you said that that's a large
0: question I'm going to, and you know me, so I'm going to really try to narrow this down. I I believe that, that the fraternity could do a better job of reaching out to having more of a diverse focus. We have talked a great deal um, about our non-exclusionary cause which has been around since the founders and i think that's great i like to think that those five gentlemen thought that a guy like me would show up uh in their fraternity someday uh with four of them being preachers i'm going to hold on to that with every fiber of my being but the one thing i think we need to do a better job of is how does that translate to today what does that non-exclusionary clause look like in 2020 and going and and, and going past that um because there is a uniqueness there is a not you know not quite a manly term but there is a beauty in any richness in all of our experiences and i would like to see more of a uh, a melting pot i guess as you were of those experiences and are we going out to reach to reach those of various ethnicities of uh, various racial uh, backgrounds. Uh, yeah, I believe it's still, um, I believe it's still many men as one man, but I also believe that uh, that one man is made up of a huge breadth and depth um, uh, of experiences and cultures and things that they can bring in to the melting pot. Just the people that are on this podcast right now uh, prove that and prove that in spades.
1: Thank you, Edwin. John, what are, what are your thoughts about ways the fraternity can get better, how we can continue to champion diversity, equity, and inclusion?
2: Yeah, well, first off, I would say that um, you guys have already started um, off on a really good foot. Like your work in making sure the Teak page is a very inclusive space for us was really um, felt, you know, and I saw that and I, I appreciate that. Um, having a committee dedicated to it is obviously another great first step. Um, I also think that, you know, being very intent on having people of color in rooms uh, that in which decision making is happening is very important um, because it's, we're able to provide a valuable perspective um, that may be missed, but when we're not um, in part of like decision making processes, um, and I think like the EDI community or committee is something that will be able to provide value to that and pro- provide like that, that perspective as well um i also think uh i think i don't know if edwin or someone had brought this up on the first call zoom call we had for the edi committee when we we're just getting things started um but like having some sort of like history um about uh like who was like the first like uh, black member of teak or like who was the first like this or that member, I kind of including um, our diversity aspect or more like diverse aspects into our history um, because, you know, every TEEK is required to learn history um, when they pledge, right? So I think having some sort of diversity aspect in our history can really like entrench that in our values, right? We're requiring people to like kind of learn that aspect of our fraternity. Um, it then becomes like second nature to this is who we are, right? Because this is who, what I learned. When I was uh, rushing, um, so I think those are two big things um, that I think will like help to kind of keep us steering on the in the right direction of like making sure we diversity is part of our values. You know?
1: Absolutely, Brother Moy is someone who has sat at the head of the table in in decisions that are being made in this organization, and obviously someone who still has tremendous influence and. In, an impact on current leadership. What are what are your thoughts?
3: Well, uh, thanks for asking. And first of all, I want I want to say to Frada Robinson and Freda Broadway, thank you. I, you know, I am on this journey, and I am still learning. And so, I really appreciate you being able to share your experiences unvarnished. I think that's really helpful. So, uh, saying that, uh, there's a couple points that that come to my mind. Uh, one is, I want to make sure that uh, all Teeks, all incoming TEAKs and all uh, existing TEAKs uh, are reminded of the values of our fraternity: love, charity, and esteem, and not for wealth, rank, or honor, but for personal worth and character. Uh, that is in our DNA, right? Um, uh, no other major fraternity, all the other major fraternities had exclusionary clauses. <laughs> the only one that didn't was TEAK. And so uh, we start off on right foot, although we didn't know where that would take us. Um, And uh, other fraternities, uh, they have um, biases and divisions baked into their DNA, right? And so teak is really special uh, this way. And I want to make sure that everybody who becomes a teak um, knows that that is a key value. And that's what we're looking for. Uh, when when we 're rushing and we want to develop that culture uh, within our fraternity so, so that 's one thought is make sure that uh, we all uh share uh, in this uh, in this common uh vision uh, second um, uh, as Frada Robinson and Frada Broadway said, uh, I think we need to be more intentional uh, in um, in pursuing this uh, diverse view. So, you know, you have people who don't want diversity, so they just lock the front door and prevent people like me from walking in, right? So that's one way people handle it. Uh, Other people just open the door and whoever else walks in, we're not going to have any bias toward them, uh, but uh, we're not actually going to seek them out either. Uh, You know, so Ed Moy walks in the front door, I'm welcome just like family. That's great. I think given um, the tensions in this society, um, we can accelerate the solutions to some of those tensions by being more intentional. And so, uh, so th- what that means is, uh, you know, uh, during Rush, we want to um, scope out the whole campus and figure out who is a teak and they just don't know it yet. And has uh, and reach out to them regardless of of, of color, uh, but with the intentional uh, view of trying to get more color you know so President Bush uh, I was very fortunate to uh, serve as one of the um, key senior staffers overseeing an area called presidential personnel, where we recruited people to serve in the administration. What is a very unknown fact was that george w bush. Um, recruited a more diverse administration uh, than anyone else than Bill Clinton or uh, Barack Obama. And how did he do that? Well I was the guy who was the air traffic controller for all that. And bottom line was the president would look at a list and going, okay, you know we need to appoint a, a CFO, a chief financial officer for the Department of Transportation, and I'm looking at this list and you're telling me, if we're looking for the best people in America that are financial professionals, um, that have a transportation background, why are you giving me a list of seven white guys here? You know, isn't there a woman who's who's a financial expert and a CPA uh, that's managed a larger? Isn't there a Hispanic? Isn't and he wouldn't say I'm intentionally going to. Um, that's what I want is a Hispanic woman in that job but he's looking at a list going, if there's nothing but white guys here, something's wrong because you didn't look hard enough. I want choices, and I may choose the Hispanic woman. I may choose the African American man. That's my choice, but you're not giving me those choices. And so uh, it's through that intentionality that I think that we can make a huge uh, impact on our fraternity. And the final thing I want to say is, um, we have to walk the talk. So, uh, so not only are we looking at undergraduates, but you know, uh, we're all graduates uh, talking here. And um, when you take a look at the racial tensions that we have in this world, uh, teak is tailor-made for after the teak experience. We, you know, hopefully we choose uh, a better quality of man who wants to do good in, in the world. We give them the training, the ideas, the relationships, and when they graduate, we want them to do good, right? We want them to make a better world. And uh, one of the areas that that we can make that impact on is with race relations and uh, all these uh, racial tensions out there. And so whether that means highlighting members who ran for office, county executive, state representative, so on, but also look at their various accomplishments. We need to start highlighting how TEEC is making that better impact uh, given the wide diversity of alumni that we already have uh, who are already doing good stuff.
0: Hey, Donnie, I, 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 I... I wanna share, share this story, and this is a good question. And Pascoe and, and Preetnis Moy will remember this very well, and this will be great entertainment for John. Uh, at the 2015 Conclave in New Orleans, he's already smiling because he knows where I'm going. At the 2015 Conclave in New Orleans, I stood up, it was my first time at a Conclave, and during the legislative session, and challenged uh, the Grand Council at that time, then Grand Pretenance Bob Barr, on why there was not a represent, why there was not persons of color represented on Grand Council. And, And I thought I had made a really wonderful point. Until past Prince Moy, after the legislative session, graciously and gently pulled me aside, um, talk about slow to reprove fault. Um, and not only was he slow to reprove it, he was gracious uh, he was gracious in the reproof, and uh, it, it just and while I think what I meant to say somewhere was that I really wanted to see an African-American sit on that grand council. The fact that we have not had persons of color or persons of diverse uh, ethnic backgrounds, um, the way I said it on its face uh, was absolutely false. And I just wanted to publicly not only recognize that and still believe that that's an area that we can, uh, that we could address even as talk cap epsilon. I also want to thank past grand Prix nismoy for uh, the way that he pulled a young frauder and, uh, and 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 educated in a very loving, uh, in a very love, charity, and esteem, and and gracious way. But I think it also speaks to the how can we do better? Well, one of the ways we can do better is by educating at least to say where
3: we've been. Yeah. 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 Thank you, uh, Father Robinson. And if I could just uh, add on to that, um, you know, so I am. Um, generally not a wave the flag and put it in your face kind of person, right? So that's just my own natural personality. But, you know, we have a lot of things to be proud of. When you take a look at our, uh, at our leadership, for example, just uh, Grand Council as a slice of that, uh, when I became uh, the Grand Priestess, uh, I think I'm the only out of the seven major fraternities I'm the only uh, person who's ever been chairman uh, that is of color, right? And on the Grand Council too, when you take a look at that, um, uh, Froder Hansen is half Chinese. And so, yeah, he's of color. And uh, Frater uh, Montgomery is half Mexican. Yeah, and, uh, and his mom worked as a, a housekeeper in hotels. You know, and she's, it, it was that humble of an experience. But for me, I felt really uncomfortable at the time, kind of broadcasting that right and 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 so I don't blame you for asking the question because Frauder Hansen and frader Montgomery uh they don't look uh of color, and so you just can't make that assumption, but then you know I'm in a way uh maybe it's my old fashioned thinking, I'm a bit colorblind, and so I don't uh advertise those facts. But I think uh, it's time for us to um, uh, make that better known. Uh, you know, to, just so people uh, know that uh, not only do we talk about diversity, but we have elements of diversity on our path to become more diverse organization.
1: Well, and I love that point because I'll just step out a little bit in, in terms of, in the last six weeks right especially and, and this is another transition I want to make since, since the tragic uh killing of george floyd obviously there's been a lot of discussion and to freder Moy's point there's been a, a lot of division and as as the fraternity has leaned into to the dei committee some of the pushback that i have received being the being the ceo of the fraternity is you know we we don't need to talk about our diversity, right? We, we, we were founded in diversity, so we don't ever need to talk about it. Well, to me, that's the complete opposite. We have a responsibility to Froder Ed's point, uh, both Froder Ed's points, we, we, we have a responsibility to champion what, we're, what we've done and to talk about it even more. Because I, I sit on calls, I have a, a few other CEOs of major fraternities, some of the seven that Froder Ed was mentioning, that we have a call every two weeks and and we talk about issues going on the fraternity. And obviously the last uh, four months has been a lot of COVID related and and, then some of the social change. And, and they tell me, Donnie, you know, you're so lucky, you know, you lead Teak and you're the one organization that doesn't have, have these pieces in your history to have to apologize for and all that. And I say, you're right on that piece, gentlemen, but also there's a bigger responsibility, a bigger platform to lead and a bigger platform to make sure we're still championing it talking about it and doing even further than just resting on a group of men who we respect 121 years ago made that decision. Now it's on us as today's leaders to further it and to make them proud of all the things that they stood for when it was much, much harder to stand for it than it is in this current time. John, mm-hmm. I know I, I stepped on you there a little bit. Was anything you wanted to add to that discussion?
2: Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, I just thought that their interaction that they um, just shared, right, about how um, Father Ed pulled Edwin aside and very like, very casually nicely like reproved his his fault, um, really speaks to a point that I guess I forgot to mention earlier, which is how helpful it can be. And I guess making sure there's some sort of training of campus leaders uh, for them to be able to address any issues like these or any like race related issues that come up in a way that's very conducive to creating like a harmonious um, state moving forward, right? Uh, Because I think these issues can be very difficult to talk about and to deal with when they come up because I know I had a couple um, and having some sort of training and like how to handle those situations can be another way to really create uh, an environment and atmosphere within our fraternity in which um, diversity is truly championed, right? And like any issues that result out of it already have a kind of a procedural or a
1: um, A playbook.
2: yeah, playbook. Thank you. Yeah, the kind of playbook of how to like handle them. So I think that's another way that we can really um, uh, keep pushing uh, the ball forward in this issue.
1: Well, and as you, have you as you've heard in this podcast, using Frutter Moy as the standard, that's definitely an area where we could be very very successful because he has a gracious way of how he can he can pull folks aside and and respectfully share. Here's here's another perspective. Here's another way to think about it. Here's another way for us to be better in a way that. Uh, allows that person to still keep their dignity, and, but also to to be better and to grow. Let's talk a little bit, I, I mentioned I wanted to talk, uh, no doubt uh, we would be tone deaf if we didn't have a discussion about the social unrest in the last six weeks that have occurred in our nation, country that we love so much. Uh, just wanna really give a, an open platform again and for me to be a student and a listener of your reflections and your thoughts during this time things that you've seen that have inspired you things you've seen that have disappointed you and and to keep the lens of teak in there ways that that inspires you that teak can be a leader we just touched upon that a little bit but also ways that we can possibly impact the world in an even greater way because i think we all share the belief that this organization has made such a profound impact on us and so many across the world that have been a part of it that we can do even more. We can be even more impactful to this to this nation and also to this world. John, I'll, I'll start with you and, and your thoughts and reflections over the last six weeks and and ways that we as a society and as an organization can can grow from this.
2: Thank you. I think you did touch on something very big at the end when you said something that we can learn and, and grow from this moment, um, because I think that was something that I noticed when this first happened Um, after George Floyd um, was murdered um, it finally seemed that like everyone seemed to get get what was going on right that uh, police brutality racism it's it's real right Um, I think moving forward in the weeks that followed there finally seemed to be this consensus that like okay we're going to talk about this like these discussions need to happen and I think that was what always needed to happen for us to be able to see progress in that area. I think there was a lot of big sentiment around a lot of people that like, oh, the way you deal with racism is that you ignore it, you act like it doesn't exist, you you don't you don't you don't see color, you don't talk about color, and that's how you solve it. Um, and I think after we had what happened with George Floyd and our nation finally just bringing this to the forefront, um, I think much more people were able to see that that's not how you solve this issue. You 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 only solve an issue, you only solve a problem by discussing it, right? And acknowledging it. That's the very first step in, um, in solving anything. And so I think that's what warmed my heart about this period of just social awakening or social unrest, right? Um, is people finally being open to uh, talk more about it and actually like, picking up a book about it or like listening to like people of color and like hearing their experiences. It's just like actually not acknowledging a situation for what it is, hearing from people who are affected by it and really championing their voices and their stories. Um, and so, uh, that's again why I've been really glad to see, uh, you guys willing to do that on the, the Facebook page and the podcast. Um, you guys are doing a really good job so far. Um, and I think, you know, moving forward from here is just not just like talking about it, um, but also doing as much as you can to uh, educate and provide that education for people who may be uh, unaware of just like these certain issues, right. That are being brought to the forefront and how they're impacting people. Because it's very easy. um, I think as, as Ed was saying, you know, and where he grew up, it was just so overwhelmingly white. And like, that was just, um, So in areas like that, people who come from a background like that, it may be very uh, hard for them to understand anything different, right? Or any um, uh, problems that people have as it relates to to race and racism. So uh, continuing to talk about it, acknowledging it, and like educate um, is something we can continue to move forward from here. And I'm, I'm glad that there seems to be so many steps put in place as a result in the last few weeks.
1: Thank you. Evan, what are what are your thoughts? I know it was it was probably four weeks ago or so, even you and I had a conversation. I just called to see how you were how you were doing and we had a good conversation. But how sharing with the entire Teak Nation now, how are you doing? What are your thoughts? boy i i think of marvin gaye
0: when i when when i see all of this you know the picket lines and the picket signs don't punish me with brutality but just talk to me so you can see what's going on this hurt i'm I'm, i there's no other way i think i can say when i saw when i saw that now former police officer's knee on the neck Of George Floyd. That hurt. That stung. Uh, I likened it to uh, a big game hunter standing in front of prey. He just shot. Um, And what bothered me was that what started as everybody in agreement with this escalated into what we have now, which is chaos on parade and the thing is is that this is where i credit teak and this is where i'm going to credit greg roscoff uh, chief risk officer because he talks about above the line and below the line behavior you can tell greg that i actually really do listen to his talks about um and i see a lot of below the line behavior it bothers me that this has what it's come down to, the looting, the the violence, the pulling down of of just about every statue, the defacing of our national monuments. That grips me in a way that I can't even really talk about because when we scream like that, no one really listens. And so above the line behavior says, Yes, can we talk? Can we we march? Can we even protest? In a way that at the end of the day, it brings something healthy, something vibrant, something new to either the conversation or to the solution. I think I have heard ad infinitum what the problem is. I think we all have but what has not come out of what has not come out of any of this is the solution And maybe that solution starts with us as persons of color. Maybe that solution starts in our neighborhoods. Maybe that solution starts out um, from a government standpoint. But I believe, in the words of Ray Kroc, that none of us is as good as all of us. And maybe if we stop pointing fingers and saying, I won't change until this person changes. It's kind of like behavior in our fraternity. We see issues with our fraternity, but no one wants to change. We'll beat the problem ad infinitum like a drum, but I won't change unless the pretenance changes or unless uh, unless this member of the fraternity changes, then I won't change You know who loses out of that? Everybody around you. And I think that is where we are in a national sense if people cannot sit down and have a conversation and seek first to understand and then to be understood the people that lose is our our communities nations our law enforcement to which we have many members of this fraternity apart of law enforcement, and they are living, love, charity, and esteem behind the shield that they wear. And I I think we can do better. We must do better. But I think it first starts with something as simple as that conversation, Donnie, that you and I had, hey, what's going on, and what can we do?
1: Well, and it reminds me, we as a staff we for for many many years we had a book and and as the the year started you had to read that book and and especially for well all three of you remember uh john deckard uh and and part of leading the fraternal services team and leading the staff he would have a book and we'd have to read that book and what you just spoke on edwin reminds me of one of the the books one year was change is great you go first and it, it covers that exact mentality that People, people understand change is important. They see the value in it. It's just who's going to be the person to step off the ledge and to lead and to make it happen. Uh, and that's a great transition. Frater Moy, someone who has led change, impacted this country at the highest levels. What's, what's in your heart and on your mind when it comes to what's occurred in the last six weeks and understanding more than any of us, the structural changes and, and what this could mean and what it needs to mean to move us forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really
3: good question, really
1: hard issue to deal with.
3: Uh, and if I were to uh, sum up what I heard from uh of Broadway and Fraud Robinson is, uh, I think uh, the biggest impact that we can make uh, is on what we can influence. And so it's on a local level, right? Uh, and I think local efforts add up to national effort. And so, uh, to me, what it means, is, and what I've heard from our fellow frauders, is we have to lead by example, right? We can't just talk about it. We have to do something about it. We have to take our values and live them out in such a way as other people go, whoa, you know, uh, those teaks are different, right? They're trying to be part of the solution." Um, And and that's where I think we need to go. And and let me give you just one small uh, vignette. Uh, Recently, uh, during the uh, protests uh, nationwide, uh, the ones in Madison, Wisconsin got violent and one of the um, byproducts of that was uh, the Lambda Chapter House uh, was not only vandalized, but um, a, a few bricks were thrown through windows and five frauders uh, ended up getting hurt, one uh, bad enough that they had to um, be hospitalized. And then, uh, you know, of so the frauders got really angry, you know, who did this? We gotta, you know, uh, have justice here. And what they found out was there was a um, African, African-American student who posted pictures of this on his, um, I think it was a Facebook page, Facebook or, or Instagram, And it basically said, uh, look at this. Isn't this great? Uh, Fraternities, as we all know, are bastions of uh, white supremacy, and they've gotten away with murder and rape against the ethnic minorities, and so glad this happened to them. So we don't know if, if that person actually threw the bricks or if he was just walking by, took the pictures, and then commented on it. And you should see all, you know, as I'm part of the Lambda group, I'm seeing all this exchange. we got to get it back at him. we got to justice. we got to arrest the guy and and so on. And I just didn't want to get involved in that. So I reached out to him. So I went to his Facebook. I think it was Facebook. Uh, I don't remember what social media thing, Facebook or Twitter. And so I I went and said, you know, um, I don't know if you know this, but we were founded on non-exclusionary and you know, we do all these great things and we're diverse and so on. And he responded back saying, this is the strangest thing I've ever heard. Um, uh, When did you become a token, when did you allow yourself to become tokenized? And um, we know that there are rapists uh, that have gotten away with it in your fraternity house. And so, you know, I I was just stuck, you know, um, because I was trying to do a nice gesture. (laughs) I get this hate back. So what do I do? So, um, everyone was saying, you know, Ed, you need to tell them and, uh, uh how great we are, how much money we raised for St. Jude and he didn't raise anything. And we got to show that we're better than him. What I ended up doing was I w- wrote back to him saying, you know what, uh, the values of my fraternity are love, charity, and esteem. And you're not a member of my fraternity but I'm gonna treat you like a member of my fraternity. And so uh, I am giving you, uh, I respect you first of all for uh, having passion against injustice and acting on it. Number two is uh, because you have this, uh, you want t- uh, to attack injustice, uh, I want to let you know as I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that even if you didn't do it or did do it, that you're doing it out of what you thought were the best intentions. And lastly, I just want to let you know that even if we never meet again, I love you as a fellow human being, and I wish the best for you. And I hope that you live a life that's consequential and makes a difference.
0: See, there's that graciousness thing again (laughs) that – that we, that we talked about earlier. That's that pulling people aside. I, I need to piggyback off of what PGP Moy just said. Donnie, you asked us in the question to think about it from a teak perspective. And, and sometimes in the teak perspective, it's about the jokes we tell. It's about the things that we say. That oh, I was just kidding. He knows he's my brother. You know that that sort of thing. I, I had the unfortunate um, instance of being referred to as a spear chucker in in, in my chapter during during my pledge period, and uh, 24 years later, that still stings. Um, mm-hmm and 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 but it gets covered up in, in in jocularity it gets covered up in oh we were just we were just joking or we were just drunk at the time don't don't you know don't mention it but you know we have so much symbolism within our fraternity that speaks to the seriousness with which we take our words and our deeds, and 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 sometimes we need to go back to, as PGP Moy said, to go back to those values and say, um, y- y- yeah, this is yes, this is my brother, and yes, we can we can be men, and you know we don't have to be overly sensitive to stuff, but I do need to be sensitive. To things, I mean, because one of the things that we say is that we're going to show respect and understanding, and nowhere do those jokes, however cloaked, shows respect or understanding.
1: Well, in the next part of that line in the bond, right? Honor the uniqueness of each fraudder, the basis of our brotherhood. It's absolutely critical. I want to thank the three of you for again your your candor, your your genuineness, your authenticity. And Edwin, you you started in here on on my final question that I have for you in, in this hour that we have together. And that is a message that you have for the fraternity. And I know that's a again, that's a big responsibility, a big question to put on your shoulders because you're talking to a quarter of a million people across the planet. But anyone whose ears come across this podcast and this episode, a message that you would have for the fraternity john i'll start with you what what's a message as someone again been been out of college for for four years now you live out in in la you're involved in hollywood right uh what's, mm-hmm. what's the message you have for for teeks across the world
2: yeah honestly uh i really want to pull from what ed and edwin said uh because they echoed sentiments that i've really been harping on within my friend group which is you know like ed uh, edwin said earlier uh, seek first to understand then to be understood um i think that's the most important thing that people should be uh, intent on when uh, engaging in some sort of dialogue right especially one in which there may be conflict um there's so much understanding that happens in our political atmosphere in our social atmosphere and i think really being intent on um having understanding is just the best foundation that you can have and um and moving forward from a conflict or misunderstanding um and then on top of that is um really seeking to have that humility that um ed ed really um highlighted in his um response with uh this this gentleman that had took that picture on uh social media right like um you know if you go back to what he said there's so much humility in in, in ed's uh, demeanor right um, he came from a place of just meeting him where he was at, not assuming any, um, ill intentions and not, uh, assuming that like he was, was better, right. Or that, like that Ed was better, right. Um, so I think seeking first to understand before you understood, um, being as humble as possible, um, and not assuming the worst of other people, um, I think is a really good uh, place to start and something to be intent on as we move forward in this uh, new world that we're living in.
1: Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us today, Edwin. Any other thoughts you want to add in there? Again, uh, something we didn't talk about someone who's very involved with this church. I know you can, you can share a message and share, a, share a gospel with the folks, anything you want to highlight and showcase for our membership here with this, with this platform to talk to the world. Uh, before I, before I say that, I, I thank you.
0: Um, it has been a privilege and an honor. It's been a privilege to meet John. Um, you've you've been my you you've been my friend since I became a party alumni volunteer corps, and that's been some decade plus ago. And uh, and PGP Moy, thank you. Um, I, I the only thing that I wish we had was a little more time. Re- relationships matter all relationships matter you know somewhere i read that i promised to be guided by charity esteem and love in my relationships throughout my lifetime
3: mm-hmm.
0: and i have been blessed by the richness and by the diversity of the relationships that i have had over the last 24 and a half years, and especially the last 12 or so years that I've been an alumni volunteer, from people like you, Donnie, uh, to the late John Decker, to Alex Swenson, to Greg Roscoff, and I know I'm going to start naming people, and I'm going to miss folks. Um, and I will not have social unrest second guess the relationships that I have made. Because you all are men of goodwill, and you all respect me as a man of goodwill. Not perfect, but a man of goodwill that needs to be aided in his mental, moral, and social development from time to time. I, I truly believe um, my faith says, you know, you know, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And and, and he talked about, you know, these three things remain, hope, faith, and love. And he said that the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is one of the core principles. It's one of the three essential elements of brotherhood in our fraternity. And we can't second guess that. And we can't change that. And so if we come at a brother with love first and understanding second, um, I think we can set a tone and we can set an example and we can set a pace for good social relationships um, moving forward. Uh, I love this fraternity, and truthfully, every man in it, and uh, this conversation has been huge. Thanks, Donnie.
1: Well, you don't have to be a Christian to appreciate that message. There's a lot of fraternal values in there, and especially love, and every time, Edwin, you and I have a conversation, the love and the passion comes out, and I truly am grateful for, for our relationship. Ed wrap us up someone who's again stood in, at, at the head of the line and, and led this organization and again continues to daily what are what's a message you would share with Teak nation
3: yeah. so my uh, parting words are um, we are better men for a better world uh, when it comes right down to it a is a very special organization right how we were founded uh, what our values are and uh, we are um, as human beings, we're not perfect. And uh, but what uh, being part of this organization does, it's like our constitution, right? which was written uh, so that uh, in order to form a more perfect union, uh, we are uh, when we end up joining Teak, uh, Teak imparts to us um, a certain uh, brotherhood, Uh, certain values that helps us become better men with the desire that uh, We go out into the world to make the world into a better place and that's an ongoing process Uh, And we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes along the way Uh, But our values have withstood the test of time and if we uh, do our best to live out the ideals of our fraternity and embody them so that we become examples for others uh, teak will become closer to fulfilling the reason why it was created and so um uh, that is my wish uh, for uh, all the frauders that are listening uh frauders, i love the fraternity
1: well amen to that thank you Gentlemen, it, it, I hope that everyone out there listening that you've gained as much and grown as much in the last hour from, from the messages that have been shared here as I have. Please share this episode of the podcast with, with your fellow frauders, share it with your family, share, put it out there on your social media pages and ensure that people can take this message and, and grow from it and learn from it and continue the conversations because that's the one theme that was hit on from our panelists the entire conversation. We need to keep communicating, we need to keep talking We need to keep sharing perspectives so we can all grow, so we can all be more thoughtful and graceful in the ways that we act and and champion this fraternity and all the values that it espouses. Thank you all for joining this episode of the Teak Nation podcast and enjoy your day.